Amen. Thank you, ladies. It's always the same. Never changes. Turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. And we'll talk a little bit about that, that God that never changes, that God that's always the same. Isaiah chapter 6. During this Thanksgiving season, there's a lot of things that happen. Uh, we have turkey and mashed potatoes, and we gather together sometimes as family. We have a lot of some of you may have Thanksgiving traditions that you do every year. Maybe you decorate the tree right after Thanksgiving or something like that. There's a lot of things that happen. Um, also, we always want to have the focus that uh, we are thanking God for the things that happen. Um, and I trust that all of us remember to do those things. That not just the external things of, you know, doing all the Thanksgiving traditions and stuff like that and eating your food and all that, but that you are thanking the Lord as well. But even in thanking the Lord, I want to delve a little bit deeper into that tonight and think about, you know, when we're actually thanking the Lord, are we doing it because it's Thanksgiving? You know, it, it's Thanksgiving, so I have to praise and thank the Lord. You know, a lot of the songs have been geared that way recently, uh, even in our church services here, about praising the Lord, how good God is to us and things. But is it just because we're in a rut? Or is it actually from the heart? Why do we thank the Lord? That's, that's what I want to look at tonight. Why do we thank the Lord? What kind of a God do we serve that deserves to be praised? I'll go ahead and tell you, this, I'm not comfortable preaching this passage because this is an amazing passage. <laughs> I don't think any preacher feels qualified to really um, delve into the glories of the Lord and just how magnificent God is. Um, but I just hope that God will speak through the message tonight, that maybe we'll gather a, just a greater understanding of how holy, how magnificent God is. Let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this passage. Father, would you please be with my lips, be with my mind tonight, and also be with all of our hearts. I pray that you would open us up to your word, that we would be attentive and ready just to learn, ready to change our minds, change, change our hearts, Lord, according to your will. Pray that you would be the center of attention, that we would really see you for who you are tonight. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Isaiah chapter 6, and go ahead and look at verse 1 there. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of that, him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. That's where we'll stop tonight. There's a lot of things in this passage, a lot of things that are taking place, and maybe it's a little bit confusing at first glance, but I like to look a little bit deeper into this passage and see, okay, what is the Bible trying to get across to us? What are the lessons that we can take away from it? First of all, I want to look at God's magnitude. 
God's just how magnificent God is. Uh, we see him in verse 1 sitting upon his throne. It says, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. And you think, what does the throne signify? Well, it signifies royalty and, and power and authority. And this is the picture that's being portrayed that we, we don't serve a God that's subservient in any way. We don't serve a God who is under anybody. We, we serve a God that is all-powerful, has all authority. That is our God signifies that kind of royalty. Secondly, as we look through that verse, it says that he's high and lifted up. All right, so we have a God that's high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The word train there, don't know if you've looked at that at all, but it, it literally means his robe or his garment, his clothing completely filled the temple. It's the kind of thing that, you know, how we, how we read in the Bible, how God is clothed with light. He has that all-emanating presence, that completely fills the temple here. It says that his robe, his garments completely filled the temple. He sits upon his throne. He is high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. Now let's look at the people or the beings that are surrounding him. In verse 2, it says, Above it stood the, the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These seraphims, we see their position that they are above the throne. Um, they're, they're standing above the throne. Um, there's Sometimes there's a little bit of a confusion as to, okay, what are seraphim, what are cherubims? And you probably know what they are, but I'll just go into a little explanation here. A cherubim is someone who would guard the throne. Um, somebody who would be a guardian of God's presence, of God's, God's holy presence there at the throne. And the seraphim were the people, the uh, beings, that were just in charge of praising the Lord. This is the only passage that we ever see seraphim mentioned right here in Isaiah 6. And these seraphim were the beings that all they ever did was just praise the Lord and sing, sing praises to God and sing, holy, holy, holy. The word seraphim literally means a fiery being or a, a burning being. So these are, these are magnificent angels, beings that we couldn't even fathom with our mind. You, know, you think of cherubim, how they have four different faces and you know, they have wings and all this stuff. And, the, and these, these seraphim have six different wings that they do. You know, they, they fly and they cover their face, cover their feet. These are things that we can't even imagine how magnificent and how glorious this is. But these are the kind of beings that God has surrounding him around his throne. He is high and lifted up. He is magnificent. He has these magnificent beings surrounding him. I think of uh, being in the, in the presence of somebody who's famous. Maybe you've been to uh, maybe like a shopping mall and you saw somebody that was famous come through and everybody stands back. Oh, there's that person's here. That, that person's here. Maybe you've been and uh, you've had the privilege of um, seeing the president or somebody that's really important like that. Um, I think of that when I was really little, I had the opportunity of seeing a really famous football player and I was like, wow, this is an amazing thing. And everybody kind of stands around and they're looking and they want to be able to meet that famous person. If you just think about that, just the, the awe that people will, will give to somebody who's just a human being. And we think, wow, what kind of awe should we have toward a God who commands our respect in this fashion? A God who is just so high and lifted up, so powerful. Uh, I think that we often take a lower view of God than we should. 
But we need to see God in this way, that he's not some genie in a box that we just, you know, ask little things from every once in a while. And uh, we say, God, do this for me. God, do this for me. No, he is a magnificent God. He is powerful. That's the kind of God that we serve. Let's look at their proclamation. They say in verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I see a pattern here, how his train fills the temple. The earth is full of his glory. A God that is omnipresent. A God who is so powerful and he's so, uh, he fills everything around him. And you can't help, when you're in the presence of God, you know that you're in the presence of God. You think of um, different people in the Bible who just got a glimpse of the presence of God. And they saw God for who he truly was and they saw him in all his glory I know you think of John, he fell on his face before God. He couldn't, even, he couldn't even look. Moses, he could only see the very hinder parts of God. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is the God that we can call our Heavenly Father, the one that loves us. He's the one that we should be praising and thanking during this Thanksgiving season. You see these things that happened. Um, verse 4 I'll turn the page here. Verse 4 says, And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So this is the seraphim that is praising the Lord, saying, Holy, holy, holy. And the posts of the door of the temple moved at the sound of his voice, and the house was filled with smoke. Heidi and I love Christian camping. Uh, that's just been a passion of ours. We, we love just every little part of it, how the kids come for a week of camp and they get super excited and you know, they have all the team spirit and things like that, but they also have a concentrated time to focus on the Word of God. It's so important. And uh, I, I had the opportunity of working at a camp just about every, night of, uh, every uh, summer of my life. And uh, one thing that we would use to make a special effect in some of our camp things, whether it be in the skit or some of the team participation things, things we would have a fog machine that would you know, send out these smoke things and make a really cool effect, and it would be super, uh, super cool. You know, the team leaders come out, and they're surrounded by this fog and stuff like that. Uh, and th- that was always a, a neat time to see that. And it kind of puts you in a sense of awe. It says wow, this is, this is something special. This is something neat. And I think maybe God's presence, not on that scale, but on a much higher scale, is kind of like that. You see that the place is filled with smoke, and these, these seraphim are saying, holy, 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 the doors, the posts of the doors are moving. Wow, what a God we serve. A God whose presence is, is filled with smoke. And just that power. It's an amazing thing. Go ahead and turn over to Revelation chapter 1. We'll be back here to Isaiah 6, so hold your place there. Revelation chapter 1. And we're looking at verse 7. We'll start in verse 7 here. Revelation chapter 1. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. This solidifies a little bit more of what we're seeing in Isaiah. A lot of times, I feel that 
we do downgrade God a lot. Even in uh, the movies that we watch, the the normal speech maybe of our coworkers, or even things that we'll say, they kind of degrade God. We, we sometimes refer to them as uh, the big man upstairs or the big man in the sky and stuff like that. And you wonder, wow, does that person really have a true view of who God is? We should never be degrading to God or belittling to God in the things that we say about him, but it should always be in, in tones of respect and reverence for an almighty God that we serve. So that kind of reverence, that, that is God's magnitude. Secondly, we'll look at God's man. God's man. Um, we're in verse 5 here of Isaiah 6. Turn back to Isaiah 6 there. Verse 5 says, And said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. First of all, God's man was humbled. We see that he was, he was humbled by God's presence. His first response was one of shame. He said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And that's what happens when we see God and his glory. We see God for who he is and his magnitude. What we have to say is, oh, look at myself. You know, it's one of shame. I say, wow, I am not what I should be. My lips are unclean. The things that I say are unclean. The actions that I do, they're all unclean because I'm comparing myself now, not to the other people around me, but I'm comparing myself to God. It's easy to compare myself to my next-door neighbor and say, oh, I'm a lot better than they are. The person across the aisle, oh, I don't do the things that they do. But when you compare yourself to God, and you say, I, have, I serve a magnificent God, a holy God, and I reevaluate the things that I do and the things that I say, you have to say, wow, I'm unclean. I don't, I don't do the things that I should, or I'm doing the wrong things that I shouldn't be doing. I am unclean. But that's not the only thing. He, he was humbled by the people that, he, that was surrounding him as well. It says uh, in verse 5 there, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That word unclean means polluted or impure. That idea of maybe taking a glass of water and mixing it with dirt or mud or something like that and being polluted, it's, it's worthless now. It's not that pure glass of water that it should be. This is what he's saying. I, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I myself have unclean lips. In revivals past, uh, I don't know if you've read up on many of the revivals in the past, uh, just powerful things that happened to people that they really saw God for who he was. But you read of things that happened, and uh, many times people would fall on their knees, they would fall on their face before God, and they would, they would just be torn over their sin. I wonder, when is the last time that we have been torn over our sin? We've really seen our lives for what it is, compared ourselves to God and said, God, I am nothing. My life is so impure, it's so polluted compared to you because you are that magnificent God that deserves my praise. And I need to get some things right. And I, I think it's good for us to reevaluate our lives every once in a while and say, God, what in my life is impure right now? What in my life needs to change so that I can glorify you in a better aspect? We see that uh, he was humbled. Secondly, he was equipped. It's neat that God doesn't leave us on our knees. 
He doesn't leave us with our face to the ground. He picks us up. I didn't put this passage down, but there is a passage about, I think it's John who fell on his face before God, and an angel came, he touched his hand, and he picked him up, and he encouraged John. That's the same thing that God does with us. He doesn't leave us on the ground. He doesn't leave us wallowing in our sin, but he equips us. Look there in verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongues from off the altar. And he delayed it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. God equipped Isaiah here for the work that he had for us. Here we see one of the seraphim, um, that, that seraphim that shook the door of the, of the temple with his voice. And he's coming to equip Isaiah for the task at hand. I want you to think back, though. What had to happen first before Isaiah could be equipped? Before that live coal could be placed in his mouth and he be purified, what had to happen first? Isaiah had to humble himself before God. Isaiah had to be humble so that God could then equip him for the task that he wanted Isaiah to do. That had to happen first. He had to acknowledge his impurity before he could be cleansed. I wonder, again, with our own lives, are we willing to confess our shortcomings? That, that can be a hard thing, especially in the small things. You know, I, I think uh, even with Heidi and I, newly married, sometimes it's hard to confess our shortcomings to each other, especially me. I, I'm a guy, I have a lot of pride. <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's very hard to say, honey, I was wrong, I need to get this right. You know, that's what God wants from us. God, God he's a pure God. And he says, even those small things, those things that you don't think are very big, but they're making a rift between me and you, I want you to go get those things right with me. I want you to confess your sins. And you know, we serve a God who never holds a grudge. Maybe a husband and wife, they might hold a grudge, even if they say, oh, I'm sorry about this. Well, are you really sorry about that? You know, we, we, we can hold a grudge as, as, as people, as human beings. But God, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God did for Isaiah in this passage. Isaiah said, I am unclean. I am undone. I am impure and polluted. God, I need you. And God, God then equipped him. God said, it's forgiven. I'm giving you the equipping that you need for this task at hand. You see, God's man we see God's magnificence, um, but we see God's message. God's message. What is the first thing that Isaiah hears from the mouth of God? Well, let's look there. And that's uh, verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And said I, Here am I, send me. What is the first thing that Isaiah hears out of the lips of God? God wants to send someone to his people. That just amazes me. If you look back and see how this passage is describing God and his magnificence, the first thing that Isaiah hears from God is compassion on his people. The, his wanting to reach out to his people and send someone to them to warn them of what is going on. If we, if we kept reading in this passage, we would see how God is, wants to send them the message that if they don't turn back to him, he's going to have to send destruction on them. 
But just to think that that magnificent God that we serve loves his people so much that that's what's on his mind. That's the first thing that Isaiah hears out of his mind, is compassion for his people, wanting to send someone to his people. Perhaps you've heard of selective hearing. Some, some of you wives or husbands may say, yeah, my spouse has selective hearing. Uh, but it, it, it can be a real thing. Sometimes it's a mental thing. Sometimes it's a medical thing. Um, but selective hearing in particular, we all know what that is. You know, we don't want to hear something, so we just kind of let it go a little bit. Um, and sometimes we have fear-minded two or three or four times. Uh, I think it's neat here um, that Isaiah had a different approach to that. Um, he wasn't just kind of bystanding and saying, you know, well, maybe somebody else will hear this request. Look at that request again in verse 8. It says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Immediately, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He didn't wait for somebody else to stand up and do something. He didn't wait for one of the angels to say, well, I'll go and give the message. Isaiah said, I'm here. I'm willing to go. I want to be your servant and do what you'd like me to do. He volunteered, verse 8. He, he did not want to, he wanted to hear what the mission was. Um, it, it's interesting that he, uh, he volunteered before he knew what God wanted. Uh, all, all God told him was, I want you to go and give a message for me. And Isaiah said, here we go. I'm, I'm up for it. He didn't wait to say, okay, what is the message? And how, how far do I need to travel to get this message and stuff? He said, I'll, I'll be your servant, Lord. Because I see my God for who he is. I see my magnificent God. I see who I am. I don't deserve to be used. But God, I'm here. And I'm willing to be used if you will use me. That's what he said. Who does this remind you of? Uh, if you think of his response, here am I, send me. We have a character in the Bible that we think of right off the top of my head is Samuel. Hey, let's go ahead, and, go ahead and turn over there real quick. First Samuel chapter 3. Let's visit this real quick and just see somebody else who is willing to be used by God. First Samuel chapter 3. We'll start in verse 3. There. First Samuel 3, 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called thee not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. So first of all, Samuel, he hears this voice and he doesn't know where it's from. He assumes that it's from Eli. And he goes into Eli and says, well, you called me. What, what, can, I, what can I do? Uh, and Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So that's the first, that's the first thing that we see. Is Samuel, Samuel heard the first time, and he went the first time, just like Isaiah just did. Let's keep, let's keep going. And the Lord called, verse 6, And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. At this point, I would be getting discouraged. I would be saying, all right, next time I hear that voice, I'm just going to go to sleep. That's not what Samuel did. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. It goes on to say how Eli told him, next time you hear the voice, you say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. 
Isaiah did this too. That's the way that we should be. As children of God, whenever God speaks to us, we should have that willing spirit. Say, Lord, whatever you have for me, it doesn't matter if you explain it to me. Just like, just like God led Abraham. You know, God never told Abraham where he was going to go once he left his homeland. He's going to the land of Canaan. That's all I knew, a promised land from God. We don't have to know all the details of what God wants us to do. Just that willingness. That's what God wants from us. I was, I was talking to the college and career this morning about that full surrendered life. How what God expects from us is to be fully surrendered, no matter if it's where we go or what we do, the, the people that we come in contact with, or even if God calls us away somewhere to do something special for him, or if it's just talking to a coworker, no matter what God wants us to do, just that willingness saying, first, God, anything that you want me to do, I'm willing, no matter what it is. And I wonder if we have that kind of surrendered life tonight. If we are truly willing to do whatever God would have for us, that's what Isaiah did. So he, he heard and he volunteered, and thirdly, he was commissioned. God proceeds um, to detail this message. We, we won't read into all the details of this message, um, but in essence, like we said before, God was telling him uh, specific details that he wanted to give to the people of Israel. And he said, these specific things are going to happen if you, guys, if you all don't turn back to me. In Isaiah's life, I, I don't see somebody who is exceptionally qualified. Uh, I don't see some big shot that thought he was all that and thought that he could do a lot of great things for God. I see a, a man that was willing to see himself for who he was. He said, I'm unclean. He saw God for who he was and who he still is. And he compared those two and said, I am worthy of nothing God, you can have my life. And that's what God expects from each and every one of us. Turn back to one last passage. We'll go over to Revelation chapter 4, and we'll be finished with this. Revelation chapter 4. Let's go ahead and start with verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, and thunderings, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass likened to crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like unto a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him 
that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created you know we serve an awesome God an awesome God and just to think that that God loves us and has compassion on us that's more than enough to thank our God for. During, I know that we're passing Thanksgiving, we're going on to Christmas and things, but during this entire season, do we have that true view of God? Are we really paying the reverence that he needs from us? It all has to start with us seeing him for who he is, seeing ourselves for who we are. And it has to, be, it has to finish with us being willing to serve him no matter what being completely surrendered to God. And uh, sometimes God will call us to do little things, but they're very difficult things to do. Maybe it's standing up on the job uh, for the Lord against somebody who's, who's being a, a bad testimony or, or doing something wrong. Maybe it's going a little bit different direction than people around you are going, even with family and things. As we gather, as we gather around in the holidays here and we have family coming, we're visiting family and things. Are we willing to stand up for what God wants us to do? Are we surrendered in every area? Do we really live like we serve a holy God? I hope we'll think about that tonight. Our God is awesome. We are privileged to be able to serve him and live for him. Are we fully surrendered to him tonight? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you so much that you do love us, that your glory is beyond description. Even in my feeble attempt to to magnify your name tonight, it's it's something that I don't feel worthy of doing. Lord, we do thank you that you give us the opportunity to serve you, to praise your name. And I pray that as we go about these next few weeks here and into the next years, we're starting another year afresh, Lord, may we have that correct view of you. That view that says, God, you are everything to me. And I pray that you would keep our hearts attuned to you. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to join me in standing. Look up this way before we have our invitation time. I want a little bit something different. Let's take the opportunity, even as we go into this invitation time, a great reminder tonight, a great challenge for you and I to make sure we have the proper biblical view of our God just a moment, the piano's going to play. We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. I want to challenge each and every believer to do just that, but Hebrews tells us that you and I get to come before the throne of grace. We've just seen how that throne is described. We've just seen the whole picture and that whole situation laid out for us biblically. And to think that you and I in prayer get to go in. We're the doorpost shook where the smoke covered the ground where those cherubims and seraphims were there so in this invitation time I want you and I to think about that as we bow our head we close our eyes and from our heart we talk to a heavenly father who deserves to sit upon a throne that is higher than everything and you and I get to say dear father and he hears his heart is touched May you and I start our prayer out simply, Father, you are holy. 
I am unworthy. Tonight, I praise you for who you are. Thank you for how you love me. And Father, I'll do whatever you ask. I want to serve you. So as we go to this invitation time, let's go to that throne room. In prayer, let's talk to our Heavenly Father. And let's adore him and exalt him for who he is. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the piano begins to play. You and I go to prayer.